back to the Zero Hero Podcast. I am your host, Danny Dumont. Producer Carl is in the house. Producer Carl is suffering from a big high school basketball loss last night. Tough season at STM this year, Carl. A little rougher than usual. Yeah. A little, a little rougher than usual. <laughs> uh, our guest tonight, a, uh, a young guy in the real estate industry that I respect a lot. Um, I met him about a year ago. Uh, I was trying to recruit him very hard to come on our team. He said no. So I'm politely, still, politely. <laughs> still a little bit upset about it, but glad to see he's uh, crunching on his own. So we're going to chat a little bit about uh, how you get from zero to where you are now, which is the name of the show. Right on, man. Looking forward to it. Spencer Dubois, good to have you, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I want to start off. That we have a pretty epic event happening tomorrow evening. Okay. Uh, it's called the Four Growler Challenge. If you've seen my Instagram at all. We, one of my friends has been talking about drinking four growlers of beer in one day for years. I think this is when the craft beer scene. In one sitting. So we're giving them 12 hours. That was kind of the challenge. Anyway, it started with us going to a brewery when like craft breweries got popular or started popping up five or six years ago. And he's like, this stuff is so much better than Canadian or Molson or, you know, whatever he said. He's like, I could drink like four growlers of this. Jeez, he's like, that now. I was like, I don't think you could do that, man. And he's like, no, I can do it. And so six years later, we finally set up this event. So he's attempting to drink uh, four growlers of beer tomorrow in 12 hours. Oh my goodness. Do Film you it. think he can do it? Oh, we're going to be Instagram live on the oh, show. Oh, you have to. <laughs> you have to be live so you know he's not cheating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, man. I think he can do it. We did the math. It's uh, 7.7 liters of beer. Okay. It's equivalent to about 22 cans of beer. Well, man, you've seen those YouTube videos of those crazy Russian guys downing 40s of <laughs> vodka. I think the body can handle four growlers. But I don't know. I don't know if those guys are surviving them right after. Yeah, they, they seem to cut the video right after, yeah. so you never know the outcome. One of, one of the rules <laughs> is you can't throw up. Ooh. I don't, really I don't know him personally, so depending on the guy's stomach, <laughs> that could be a game changer, man. <laughs> so you're on the fence. I am now. Knowing, knowing the rules and stipulations, man, definitely. Oh, that's going to be funny. <laughs> uh, me and uh, mortgage broker buddy, who are good of friends with Alex, nope. we're going to be there for most of the day in and out. Good. And we're talking, like, we're asking him his strategies and stuff. How are you going to get through it? And he's like, well, I may need a field trip. Like, can you take me to the ocean? Maybe dunk my head in the ocean. <laughs> is he like locked down in shackles or is he able to be no, mobile? No, no. He, he can do whatever he wants. He's, he's talking about cooking all day. Okay. And, like, okay. Keep himself he's busy. Planning it out. That's good. Yeah. He's got a lot of strategies. Good, man. Anyway, check it out tomorrow. It's I good. will definitely. <laughs> He'll catch me on one of those little heads on Instagram live. I'll be watching. <laughs> Chime in with a comment or 100%. something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's talk a little bit about you. I know, uh, through some Googling this afternoon, Uh-oh. uh, it's interesting for me to see a lot of good entrepreneurs were ex athletes mm-hmm. and a lot of people that we've had on the show, actually, not even that I knew, I didn't, I don't know if I knew that you were a higher level soccer player, but it's interesting to me to see that a lot of entrepreneurs that I'm either in competition with or respect had an athletic background Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering where that, how that correlation kind of comes apart. So obviously you with soccer, what do you learn in sports that correlates so well to, I guess, motivation, self-employment motivation? Yeah. Well, I think what sports does, I mean, especially playing at a high level, um, and being in a professional environment, um, you have to look and act a certain way 
in that environment. Mm -hmm. So that was the first step. But I think in any sport in general, I mean, obviously the camaraderie is fantastic, but learning how to work as a team and not as an individual, um, super, super crucial, especially with me, as you know, I have a business partner. So working together with him, um, is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, obviously getting yourself, I don't want to say motivated, um, but more drive. Like I think being in a game, like the motivation only lasts so long during a game. It's a matter of really just doing the work and being driven to do it. I think, as you know, man, motivation is so temporary. Um, but sports is, you know, I think directly correlatable in that sense. So there's, I, I feel like I learn new things about myself every day Mm. and I'll look back and I'll be like, where did this specific trait come from? Mm. Where did this like, constant desire to get better come from yeah. and it was always through sport for me of course i always relate back to sport yeah and it's like you'll think back and remember weird specific situations yeah. where i like got cut from a team yeah. or or lost a big game or whatever yeah. and you look back and i'm just like i'm almost thankful that it went that way mm-hmm. rather than like winning that championship or yeah. when i say cut from a team i got cut from the u17 provincial team when i was a uh, year young and I should have made it and I was way better than oh, the guy who made it in front of me. So it's pretty bitter about that. Yeah. But if I made the team, maybe that makes me a little bit softer. Yeah. So for me, it was almost just like chip on my shoulder kind of thing. I right. learned from sport yeah. in terms of like always wanting to get better. No, that's the bottom line, man. And I think at, it's, it's different in sports. I think, I mean, the main difference with sports and business is like, obviously when you're trying to get to the next level as an athlete, um, you know, you have so many other players and you got to find out what's different from you to that other player as far as, you know, skills and attributes and so on and so forth. But I think in business, you're really in competition with yourself more so than anybody else, um, especially in real estate. So um, I think there's things that are relatable in sport, but also there are some differences as well that I think can be pulled out of both. So. Again, like I, I look back at sports and be like, there was always someone there pushing me Yeah, and not, obviously there's a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. Like I trained a lot by myself, Mm -hmm. but in like practices and competition, there's always someone there pushing you. Whereas when you relate it to our industry, so much of what we do, like 85, 90% of what we do is by ourselves on a computer, you know, like, or walking around a neighborhood door knocking or sitting on a sofa for two hours and cold calling. So where is that, I guess, perseverance internally come from? I think it's just a matter of the self-discipline, right? And it's, I mean, I mean, back to in reference to sports, like when it's a cold rainy night in, Mm -hmm. in soccer, it's a little bit different than you in basketball. You never had to worry about that. <laughs> I played soccer till grade nine, maybe. <laughs> so I know a little bit about it. All right, and all right. football. I played right. football in high school too. Okay, That's okay. I think when you're so driven at something, you don't think about those things, right? And and it's super, super important to just be focused on the task and knowing what what your what your I guess purpose is at that time in the sport. Like for me in, in playing footy, you know, I played it for many, many years. Like the goal was always to be a professional and, and whether that was local or whether that was, you know, elsewhere, maybe Europe. Um, so that was always the focus, um, and the goal. So there were so many outside things, you know, whether it was, you know, 
making sacrifices, you know, obviously as a young kid trying to make it to the next level, there's so many um, influences in your peers, whether it was out partying, whether mm-hmm. it was, you know, certain things like that, that come up that kind of get you off track. Um, it's really, really important to just stay focused on the goal at hand and, and make those sacrifices where needed. I think your upbringing was probably pretty similar to mine in terms of like it revolved around playing sports competitively. Definitely. definitely. And I had a very similar goal in terms of like playing professional basketball. Got it. When did that shift for you? I think when my contract was up with Whitecaps, I was there for about four and a half years. Okay. Um, and kind of just to give you a quick background of that, yeah. um, prior to Whitecaps, I played for the provincial team for the full four years. Um, and after that, the transition was to Whitecaps. Um, and during that time, you know, I played with a, a, a under 16 Metro League, which was the highest at that level for kind of community soccer. Um, and the transition went from literally one of the player's dads being the coach to getting a Whitecaps contract. At the time, it was USL before they made the transition to MLS and playing with professional players like literally the next week. So um, so that was a transition to Whitecaps and the Whitecaps four and a half years there. And then it kind of came to a close where the contract is up. My, I guess, mindset has shifted a bit at this time as far as what my goals were within soccer. You know, was it the college route or was it still trying to continue and play elsewhere? Um, and that's when I had the realization that, you know, I didn't see it being a perennial career. And I, I was getting to that age where, you know, if I was in a program early on, let's say in Europe somewhere, which is super important to be within a program at a young age and mm-hmm. build up and build your name within that club, um, it came to an end at Whitecaps. So I think it was just a matter of shifting the the skills that I learned from playing at a professional level um, and how can I switch it into something completely different. I knew if it wasn't soccer, it was going to be something more entrepreneurial um, and something in the self-employed realm. Um, so really, I, I don't think there was a given moment which kind of brought me to the real estate world or where that shift happened. I think it just came out of almost, I don't want to say desperation, but the contract is up. I didn't have anything else at that time. So yeah, I, I, you, I there was no point. <clears throat> I guess what was the start of your professional career then in terms of, uh, like working, were you working while you're playing white caps or is nope. that full time? No, it was full time. So it it, okay. white caps residency, it's a full time program. So we were in school half the day, um, and we were training the remaining half, you know, mixing, you know, traveling to LA, Arizona every second week, pretty much. So we're on the road a lot. So it was a full-time commitment. And obviously it's a, it's a football club, soccer club, but it's a business for them at the same time. If they can train us and make us great players and either keep us and, or sell us and make money, um, that's what they're after. So the focus for them was just trying to make us the best soccer players that they could. Mm. So, you know. So soccer ends, what's, uh, what's the next move? Did you get into real estate right away after that? No, I didn't. So what happened was, I mean, just kind of backtracking, um, to the end of that, I had a number of incredibly amazing full scholarship opportunities to division one schools, Oregon state, Purdue, a couple other Ivy league schools. It's not that I was an Ivy league student, but (laughs) the offers were there. They, that was before they saw my GPA. (laughs) Um, so after that, um, 
I, I guess I waited too long to accept those offers because after a certain period of time, those scholarships, they expire. Um, and obviously those universities or colleges, they need to start looking for other players if you don't respond within that given time. So what happened was I, I didn't accept that. And I was kind of at a point in my life where I didn't really know what the next route or the next chapter was going to be because contract is up scholarship opportunities are kind of withering away um, and I knew I was never a strong student academically it just wasn't my forte um, it was always soccer soccer was the the dream soccer was all I did all day every day so um, so it was tough to me to to wrap my head around you know any kid would kill for these full scholarships right um, and some might think I'm crazy for turning those away but um, essentially it's it's now finished those have gone away um and then i was forced to be not forced but you know after letting those expire now it's local now so i'm looking locally for for an opportunity so sfu opened its doors um i didn't have enough credits to get in right away because of the whitecaps program you know we're doing two classes a semester i barely had enough credits um, to graduate high school but we made it happen just based on the program so um, I had to do some online courses. Um, they just, I had like two months to finish like two online courses <laughs> to get into SFU and it just was not happening. <laughs> and like me being the academic student that I am, no chance in hell it's going <laughs> to happen. So, um, so unfortunately that never panned out correctly. I went to Douglas for the year um, and I had a fantastic season and you know, my grades were, were doing great. Um, I ended up winning athlete of the year um, that year. So that opened up a whole other door and, and now I have SFU still in the picture and then I have Seattle University um, in the picture as well. And they're another division one school, obviously downtown Seattle. Um, so now I had two fantastic opportunities. You know, I could go to the stage, which, you know, I thought withered away and this was like my final chance to get that back. Mm-hmm. Um, or I could stay local and, and play with SFU. And I got to the point now real estate is kind of in the back of my mind now. And I already kind of knew that I wanted to go that route. And you know, I'm a $60,000, scholarship to Seattle U, whatever the, the figure is for SFU. Um, and I dropped both. I didn't do both. And I'm in school at this time. And it was kind of a gap period when the season was over. And I, and I signed up for my real estate course through UBC. And, and I did my course in three months. Um, and in the meantime, at school, I was working at Moxie's um, as a server. And that was pretty much my work experience prior <laughs> to real estate. And you'd be surprised the skills that are directly translatable working in a restaurant into real estate. I bartended um, for five years. So okay, I, so you know, I you know, very about well it. know it. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, no, just understanding, you know, different people's communication styles, you yeah. know, the, the juggling, the time management all very, very important in the business. But, um, but prior to real estate, that was, that was the, I guess, first real job that I had was working as a server. I think that one of the biggest things I learned from the restaurant industry was, uh, so many different types of people came into the types of places that I worked at Yeah, that you needed to be so adaptable with like who you were totally. And not necessarily that you were being a different human being. It was more just like presenting a different side of yourself. Yeah. You know, like in real in real estate, some people just want your opinion. Yeah. Some people want every single stat. Yeah. Like for the last five years. Totally. So it's more it's being able to read people yeah. is what I learned. I think the biggest thing that I learned from the restaurant industry. Huge. And present information in the way that they 
want it presented. No, exactly, man. I mean, it's like you have, you know, you're in a presentation, like you mentioned, and you have like for me in in my business now, like I'm, I know me personally, I am very big on tangible things like the the touchy feely quality of maybe some certain paper stock that I have on, on a marketing flyer. I know for me, if, if an agent came to me and, and I was looking for their services and they had high quality finishing on their paper, I would be thrilled. <laughs> and I now know going into presentations and meeting new people, not everybody is like that. So it's in these skills that you get from the restaurant is just adapting to those different, um, you know, needs and communication styles. Mm-hmm. So, cause that would mean nothing to me. Yeah. It's, it's so, yeah. it's, it's so crazy how it's totally crazy. something totally different means something very different yeah, to everyone. No, it's, right? it's insane. Uh, okay. So you get your real estate license. Yep. So you were only at Douglas one year. I, I guess two, I was there for two seasons. So okay. what happened was I, I get, sorry, I guess it was the second season going into at the start where I knew soccer was kind of just withering away. Like I knew it wasn't anything that I wanted to pursue at sure. that level anymore. And that's when real estate really got into the picture. Um, but bef- I guess the first season I knew I wanted to do something in the entrepreneurial realm, mm-hmm. like kind of backtracking, you know, looking back in retrospect, um, during high school, the days, um, you know, from grade eight to grade 10, I was always selling things, you know, whether it was going to the thrift stores and, you know, getting the Air Jordan six Oreos for like eight bucks and flipping them the next day for 350 bucks, like, or the Chicago Bulls starter jackets for 10 bucks and selling them 150 the next day. Like for me, like I didn't realize that I had that sales and entrepreneurial background already without even knowing it. So I think until once I got out of that and looked back, I realized that, damn, I could actually do something well in this. You were doing that as a kid, huh? Oh yeah. That's pretty rare. Another thing, I don't know if this should be aired, but my, uh, (laughs) my dad, he, um, he went to Cuba. This was, geez, back in grade nine or so, maybe grade 10. Um, and he came back with a, a box of Cuban cigars, very expensive Cuban cigars. Mm-hmm. I think they're the, the high-end Cohibas, and we're talking like a box of 30. And at my old school in Surrey, there's a lot of kids that did drugs. <laughs> marijuana in particular. <laughs> so what I would do is I'd have the box, and I don't know if this is legal or not, I don't even know if this can be aired, but I would sell the Cuban cigars to the stoner kids in school because they'd make blunts out of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So that's kind of my first entrepreneurial experience. (laughs) (laughs) Something Gary Vee says all the time. He's like, uh, whatever you're selling, whether it's shoes or shoveling people's driveways or drug dealers in high school, like they have great entrepreneurial (laughs) tendencies. It's the truth that right? I know Gary Vee has mentioned that. Yeah. He wishes yeah, they not, would use it for something yeah, more productive. Yeah, not that he would condone but, it, but yeah. I don't know. Is that borderline? Does it make me a borderline drug dealer? I don't know. Maybe I'm an influencer. I don't know. <laughs> You're supplying them, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's fast forward. Real estate license acquired. Yep. yep. How do you begin? I know a lot of, like, I in the last few years, obviously, with a little bit of success in real estate for me. Yeah. I've had lots of coffee meetings with new people getting in the industry and they're always like, where do I go? I have a license now. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at brokerages. How do I start? What's the, what, what do you do first? Do you build a website? Do you just start knocking on doors? Like what, where, what, where was your start? Well, when I first got my license, um, 
actually during my license, there was one agent in particular that I, I really followed closely on social media and that was DJ Denner mm-hmm. out in West Vancouver. Um, and right when I got my license, like literally the day of, I messaged him and I said, Hey man, I got my license. I'd love to meet you for coffee. Um, and I drove all the way from Surrey down to his office in West Vancouver. Um, and we, you know, we grabbed a coffee just down his off, down by his office. And I had this little black book that I still have to this day where it's all my meetings accumulated since then. Um, and his was one on the first page cause it was like my day one in real estate was meeting this guy who's, you know, extremely successful, um, and someone that I admired. Um, and he wrote down a few things on there that really resonated with me and, and still things that I, you know, have had a huge influence in my business today. Um, so that was, you know, my first really first day in real estate was just like, I remember he mentioned lock boxes and I was like, what the fuck's a lock box? I didn't even know what that was. Um, and he's like, wow, you're really fresh in this, aren't you? And I said, yeah. So I, I was totally clueless, clueless at that time. Um, so that was my first interaction with a real estate agent, um, who was successful in the business. And uh, it was, it was a good start just to kind of keep me motivated throughout to, uh, to keep going. But when I started real estate, man, I, I didn't even have a car. I had no Jeez. car. I had no car when I started real estate. Um, pretty much for the first, I want to say three months. I would, and I barely had a phone plan too. Like I <laughs> seriously, man, I don't know how the fuck I got into the business with any of that. I was just like bright eyed, bushy tail when I got in, right? I just knew there was something in me that just, I, I just knew I was going to do well in it. And there was no doubt in my mind that it was going to be something that I just, I would succeed in. There was no doubt in my mind. There was no fear. Um, it's just something that I knew things were going to pan out. Um, so regardless of the no car, I didn't see that as an obstacle regardless of the (laughs) barely any phone plan. Holy shit, man. I think it was on like a, the cheapest wind phone plan you can think of. And I like service was popping off every, like I I couldn't make calls. And obviously that's important as an agent. Just for the record, Um, Carl, the two most important things in my life are my phone and my car. And neither. And any real estate agent's life, man. So, so humble, humble beginnings for sure, man. I definitely didn't come out with, um, with a Bentley fresh out the <laughs> gates, that's for sure. But what's funny is like, obviously my partner Renesh had a car at the time. So we would carpool pretty much everywhere. And in the, in the odd time in the evenings where my dad wasn't working, fortunately he, he has a Jaguar X type. Um, so pulling up to these meetings, these, you know, these listing appointments or buyer taking buyers on tours. Um, I was able to drive something half decent, um, <laughs> to create the perception. That's <laughs> Little did they know, um, I was really, I really had nothing at that point. Right. I mean, you know, as far as driving material, when so. I started, I had a two door, uh, Chevy cobalt, <laughs> the one that Damn. you have to like fold the seat forward for people to get in the back. Jeez. So anytime I, or as much as often as I could, anytime I w- had buyer tours that I would be picking people up, yeah. I would borrow Jamie's car. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's because it's almost embarrassing, right? Like but folding the seat down. Yeah, you gotta. It's crazy to think about that, though, right? Here. Because I think it's just the perception, right? And yeah. like us, like people have this perception about agents that they need to be wearing the suits, they need to be driving the nice cars, and it's mm-hmm. like, dude, we're just regular people too, man. Like, mm-hmm. regardless of where we're starting, it's you know, we're. It's it's crazy that there's that perception. I know a lot of agents they, they go in thinking that it's necessary to have those things. Um, like right off the bat, even if it means throwing yourself crazy in debt just to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I've kind of learned in the business going forward, like you really just got to be true to yourself. That's the bottom line. Like if you're the type of guy who's suit and tie, be that guy 100% all in. But if you're the guy who's, you know, you know, obviously there's a time and place, but if you're not that guy at all, don't be the guy just because it's this, the people make it seem like that's the way you need to be. It's a fake facade. You just got to be yourself. That's the bottom line. I fell into that trap a little bit early Yeah, and I bought a car that I probably couldn't, I shouldn't have bought at the time, but it worked out okay. <laughs> but I bought a car that I should not have bought probably in August of my first year. I got my license in April. Okay. I think I had done like four or five deals and I was like, I can't show up in this stupid cobalt anymore. Not that a cobalt is a bad car. I just felt, <laughs> I felt shitty showing up and folding the seat down. It was really the two door car. Damn it. So I bought a car that I probably couldn't afford, but it, it almost, for my personality, it almost motivated me. Yeah. To like you have payment to responsibility. Harder. Exactly. Yeah. But I fell into that trap a little bit. Yeah. And looking back, I, I don't know if I'm embarrassed about it, but I wouldn't do that again if mm-hmm. I could restart mm-hmm. because I don't care anymore. Because I'm, I've learned that being myself is more attractive to clients than this facade. And I don't know. I, I'm definitely not the suit and tie guy. Yeah. I never was. I never, I don't think I'll ever will be. Yeah. I'm the guy that shows up in a plaid shirt untucked with khakis. Yeah. But like I value what I know about the industry and how much confidence I have in my advice rather than like this appearance. And I'm glad you said that, man, because I think it's all about being relatable to the client or customer. For sure. Right. If you're, you know, meeting. That's important, actually. It really is, man. Mm -hmm. Like if you're meeting with somebody who you know is just a regular casual guy and you come out with your Gucci suit um, and your Louis Vuitton tie (laughs) and you're rolling up in a Lamborghini, chances are that person is not like they might be like, whoa, like this guy's really got to figure it out. And they might look at you as some sort of celebrity. But our business is is all about building real long term relationships with people Mm -hmm. and not saying that wearing that will not make that happen, but I think it's important. Like obviously the way you look is very important relating to those other people. So you just have to match them. Totally. When you, when you look at like, obviously because we're younger people, our demographic mm-hmm. is likely going to be younger people. Yeah. You look at my first year, I think my average, average sale was like 350 K. It's like, I'm not, I'm working with like people like us. I'm working with first time young couples who are buying their first condo type of thing. Right. So I think it would intimidate them. And I don't think you would relate very well if you're showing up in a $200,000 car in a suit and tie. Yeah. I don't know. I I found it works for me more than it hurts me. Yeah. I'm sure in some circumstances when I'm walking into a home that is someone who's been there for 45 years and they're in their late sixties and they're downsizing, showing up in a plaid shirt and khakis maybe isn't their thing and they judge me right away, but I'd rather be judged for who I am than this facade of yeah. putting something on. No, for sure. You hit that on the head, man. First year. Okay. So that, I guess that meeting with DJ probably in day one of getting a license or early on in your license yeah. was probably a big thing for you. Was there anything that he said that like kind of stuck out that you've kept with you? hundred percent, man. I think that there's really one word that just resonated with me and I still use in the business and it's care. Yeah. Just care. That's it. Just care. Simple as that. And that's one thing that he, he literally, I have it still written in my little black book. 
just care. And that's one thing that every listing appointment, I, I show them that I care, you know, whether it be, you know, I'm there for the photo shoot, I'm there directing the video. I make every client feel very, very special, regardless of the price point. Every client is treated the same mm-hmm. with the same amount of care. And that's one thing you mentioned to me early on. And it just dude, totally, totally stuck with me. That's something I go out of my way to, to make that impression on people. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to get caught up, especially when you start getting busy. We, of course, as you know, have like six really busy months and mm-hmm. then six mediocre months. You can work your ass off and make them good, yep. but they're usually much slower. Yep. So for us, like even for me, it's really important for me that two people go to listing appointments. So whoever is going to be working on the listing and me go to every listing appointment, mm-hmm. even if it's a $250,000 condo or you know, whatever it is, we just want to make people feel, understand how much we actually care about working with them. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether you're selling a $4 million home or a $250,000 condo, yeah. we're spending as much marketing. We are going through the entire marketing plan. We're not cutting quarters because the commission check is lower. We're not like, spending less time. We're not putting lock boxes up. We don't use lock boxes. We just want to make sure that people understand how much we care about them and helping them yeah. do whatever they need to do real estate wise yeah. rather than that commission check, you know? Totally, man. And I think you made a good point there. I, I, it really shows your purpose in the business is to help people. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were in the business just to cut a commission check, you wouldn't be taking these listings, right? You'd be focused on different things and mm-hmm. you wouldn't be fully present and really wanting to help them. I think, you know, I think what we're similar in business is the fact that we care, obviously, but we're really just there to help the people. Mm-hmm. They have real estate goals, whether it's buying or selling, and we get fulfillment from helping them do that. Um, and that's what it's all about. I think in any service business, that should be the key. It has right? to be, man. But like yeah. in any business, there's obviously it can get construed in many different ways, but I think that's the core of the business is, is help like helping people with the real estate needs. Mm-hmm. That's I like that. Um, <clears throat> starting out going from the meeting with DJ, how did your first few clients come about? Like what, what's the plan from day one kind of thing? <laughs> Well, as you know, when you get your license, you're... Because there's zero, absolutely zero training in real estate. <laughs> there's this book that's this big. You write 20 assignments or you do 20 assignments online that are like anyone can do them. Yeah, it's, it, there's no relation to the business itself. Like zero. the business, like real estate as a whole is people, like just understanding people. Like mm-hmm. it's correlatable to the amount of people you know is the amount of business that you do essentially. When, when people ask me what I do for a living, yeah. I say, this is funny, actually. <clears throat> I say I'm a relationship manager yeah. and a professional marketer. Yeah. They're like, what does that mean? I'm like, oh, I sell real estate. Well, dude, <laughs> we, we could be selling anything. Totally. Like, we could be on the street selling sneakers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it just how, it just so happens that, that we sell exactly. is real estate. Like, yeah. it's it's just the fundamentals of... <laughs> Gotta pour, pour yourself in your glass there. <laughs> um, that's the fundamentals of the business is just people. That's it. But um, sorry, what was the question? Day one. Where do you go? Where do you go after that meeting from DJ? Well, our first like background. I guess how did you connect with yeah, so, Ranesh? So me and Ranesh, we we I started about a month, three weeks before him. Um 
And I started off with a team at Sutton West Coast. And the reason I wanted to join a team right off the get-go was to really understand the business. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew getting my license, it was like, hey, you got your license, now what? By joining a team, I, I knew it was important to learn off them and really understand the day, daily activities, what it takes to be a successful agent. Systems. Um, totally. Systems, uh, exactly. everything. Like there's, as, a, as an agent, we're, we're like an octopus, man. We have so many different things that we have to do, so many different roles. Um, and, and I knew that going in and I knew I didn't know what that meant to be um, as a successful agent. So that's why I joined a team to see that. Um, I, I found out early on that I, you know, I, I wanted to do something myself and by meeting Renesh, we just, we connected right off the get go. We were like, you know what, man, like, I think we can do really well partnering up together. We both have the same mindset. We both share the same vision. So we just cut ties with that team and, and all is great with them. We left on great terms, um, still friends to this day. But we had different plans as far as where we wanted to take our marketing, the, the, the way that we communicated with our clients, the way that we structure the business as a whole. It was just different. And I think we knew early on that, um, and that's okay. I think everybody has their own way of running the business. And, and I think it only took me the month to find out that um, it wasn't the way that I wanted to do it personally. Mm -hmm. So that's why we made the switch. So we, we met, I mean, I didn't know Renesh prior to that, but we actually met on the team at the same time on give the or, same team on the same okay, team give, give or take three weeks so that's where we met and that's where we left and, and did our own thing that's one of the first things i tell people when they ask me where do you, where do you start in real estate yep. and i you could relate this to any businesses mm -hmm. learn from someone who's been doing it for a while simple as that it right. really is and, and whether that means you know joining a team or and i think i think the word mentor is can be a scary word for a lot of people. I don't think a mentor needs to be somebody who is a specific person and you give them the title. Mm -hmm. I look at many different people, whether they're alive, whether I know them, whether there's someone in my personal network as a mentor, like there's so many different things to learn from different people, be it real estate or, you know, some sort of personal development or relationships, what have you. Like there's so many different people and there's not one person that is good at all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, and, Totally. I think it's I think it's important to do that. I mean, obviously, joining a team is great to learning those systems right off the get go, and I think it's really important to do that. Um, but for me, I knew that I I just have this crazy drive about me, man. I don't know what it is. I just knew that I I had my way of doing things. Whether it's ego, I don't know. Um, maybe a little bit at the start, but I just knew that I had a specific way of doing things, and I just I wanted to do it myself. But at the same time, meeting with high level agents all across the globe, like even going on calls from guys in LA, New York, through Instagram, yourself, Danny, West Vancouver agents, you name it, just anybody I saw online or heard about that I could get in touch with, um, you know, to and hopefully in some way add value to them, um, but in the same token, you know, help grow my business as well. Mm. Did you ever get the, <clears throat> now it's never a problem, mm. but did you ever get the, uh, like, oh, you're young from clients or how many years have you been in the business? And why do you think you I answer, have this big red beard? You man? answer uh, <laughs> six months and they're like, Oh, <laughs> oh man. When I started, I didn't have a beard and that, I mean, I had to, like, I looked like a 12 year old, as you know, my, my white caps residency photo, I was 16 at the time and I looked nine says Denny. That's <laughs> accurate. Google Spencer Du Bois. One of the first things that comes up is his real estate website. Uh, but the other thing is his white caps. Yeah, no, it's rough. So that's, that's, 
I, th- I found growing the beard definitely helped out with that a lot as far as age was no longer a question. I mean, obviously still look like a younger guy. I don't look like I've been in the business for 20 years, but at the same token, it's, it's a matter of overcoming that objection and how you can relate and why it's an advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, if you can explain that to potential clients and really give them the full look at why it's important to hire someone who is fresh in the business. And what I would say, man, my first listing that I got was actually a, an exclusive listing. And I was like, you know, this is our first thing. We have no listings to our name. Let's market it to the shits. So we pumped like a thousand dollars just in the marketing and there was no guarantee that I was going to sell. There was no MLS exposure. It was on the market a a year prior um, and it just wasn't selling. So we did some crazy like twilight photos. We did a nice cinematic video. We just sent mass email to the network that we had, um, which is not big at the time. (laughs) Maybe a hundred people if that, but it turns out after two weeks on the market, we actually sold it through a Facebook advertisement from a buyer that didn't even look at the property in person. They wrote the offer by seeing the video through Facebook. And of course, as a first listing, that's incredible. And it's a success story that we still talk about to this day to potential clients and the importance of social media, which being a younger dude like you and I is something that can be easily leveraged and, and explained in a great way to potential clients why it's so important. And you guys are doing obviously a fantastic job at doing that. And I'm sure that's something that you guys have in your sales pitch. Well, it's absolutely the competitive advantage. And it's absolutely ridiculous how powerful it is. When you go into listing appointments and people have said, oh, we've already interviewed three other agents and you talk about social media and the reach and how many eyes are going to get, how many more eyes are going to get on the property? And they have never heard this before. I'm thinking, who the fuck did you just interview? How old were they? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it just doesn't make any sense. Like no, look doesn't. at something on MLS. It gets like three to 500 views in week one. Yeah. Have a very carefully articulated Facebook ad. Mm. It's like 10 to 15,000 views in week yeah. one. Yeah. It doesn't like, why, why are you not doing this? And, and the nice thing about social media advertisements is you're, it's not just 15,000 views of random people. You're catering it to people who have looked at some sort of real estate. Like I guess the way the Facebook um, ad structure works is they're able to see what people on Facebook are looking at, mm. which is crazy scary, but it's extremely powerful at the same time as a marketer being able to target these people and get in front of them and market the properties. And when you can explain this to your clients, it's just incredible. And, and the exact demographic, right? Like if you're yeah. selling a, a standard two bed, two bath condo and yeah. new asked for us, the likely buyer is between 25 and 40. Yeah. We know that. So we're sending those ads to people that yep. are 25 to 40 clockwork, man. Right? <laughs> I love it. It's oh, brilliant. It is. It's awesome. And obviously the space has been, has become a lot more competitive in the last couple of years, Yeah. but there's still so much room to grow and it, there it's is. so inexpensive to hit so many people. I, yeah. I don't know. I love it so much. And the fact that you can see it too, you mm. can physically see how many people it's reaching, how many people opened it, clicked the ad, like that is unbelievable in comparison to, you know, flyers, for example. Obviously, it's important to do those as well, but I think you're on the same page with me as far as, you know, what is better as a marketer as far as being able to see what type of action you're getting. 
I think social media advertisements will always reign. It's very inexpensive yeah. for the reach that you get. Yeah. Whereas flyers for us, if you flyer 8,800 homes in new, in new West, it's like a $2,000 bill. 30. Maybe you get one call. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and it's probably some guy saying, why the fuck did he send me this? <laughs> You guys send us every week. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I like talking about the first year, as you know. No, for sure. Biggest challenges in the first year? Well, the first challenge was was obviously the age and the inexperience. Where Where do you go for knowledge? Well, I read a lot, but as far as the knowledge that I gained was obviously through the experience and, and just doing the time. And but seeing it, the team and, as well. Yeah, team as well. Um, but also taking other agents out for lunch, coffees, going to them at their offices, things like that. Like I learned a ton of that um, through meeting agents who have already done it. Like this is a business where you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, you don't even necessarily need to add your own personal touch to it. You could follow the the guided path and you will have some sort of success in the business. It's just, that's just the reality of it. If you do the work, it's all about doing the things you don't want to do, but you know, you have to do it at the highest level. Like that's like any business it's there's things that we don't like doing, but we have to do it in order to grow the business. Um, and a lot of those things, uh, happen in real estate. Like today I door knocked a hundred homes today. Did I really want to do it? That was a great day. That's fine. But like, it's not, I'd rather be doing other things and knocking, but I know how important it is to grow the business and promote my clients listings. Like today, I was knocking on a new listing I have out in uh, Green Timbers, Surrey area. Um, and it's just to invite people to the open house. Um, and out of those 100 doors, I got one lead from a gentleman who invited me into his house, gave him a little quick overview of kind of what I would change, what looks good, what, you know, certain little tips. Um, and turns out he's thinking about listing in a couple months. So, and you don't, know that unless you do the work like i think especially with door knocking it's something to this day i've been in the business probably coming up to three years now and i still do it relatively consistently um and it's one of those things like you know you you get busy and i get that but our if we're not consistently lead generating we'll flatline we're done our business is lead generation it's as simple as that it goes Mm -hmm. back to the people we need to know more people to do more business it's as simple as that I remember early in my career, <clears throat> I was I met with the managing broker at our Sutton office, and he was just like, "You're at Sutton as well." We were at Sutton West Coast for my first three years. Been to color right color rooms for two. Okay. Uh, and one of his questions, he was just like, "How's it going?" Whatever. No. And I said, "Feel extremely comfortable with anything involved in the job, like mm. writing offers, negotiating." Uh, reading strata documents, taking people out and explaining properties to them, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's the easy part. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. He's like, the hard part is generating leads. Yeah. And of course that is the hardest part in any business is how do you get people in the door? If you have a shop or whatever mm-hmm. restaurant, how do you get people in the door for real estate? How do you generate leads? How do you generate a, someone to call you or knock on a door or whatever? Yeah. That's the hardest part by far. That's why people are great or mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. Someone who is very mediocre at selling real estate 
may just be a terrible lead generator, right? Yeah. They may be an exceptional service person, mm-hmm. but they just can't get themselves in front of people. That's the thing. If you you need if you're good at serving people, you need people to serve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. It's it's very simple concept, yeah. and I think it it. I mean, back to the first year in real estate, it took me a while to figure that out. I was so influenced on the fancy marketing and the look of it, the million dollar listing, this and that. And it was more of that stuff that I was like, okay, once I get the website, once I do this, then the business will flow. And I had all those things. And where's the business? And then that's when, I mean, it really, after a few months, I realized that, okay, this is like, time is running out. Like I only have so much money left before <laughs> I get my first deal, but you know, the expenses are, are not low in real estate. So that's when I kind of shifted the, the, the focus into more lead generation and cold calling was one thing that I did starting off every day. I don't do it as much anymore. I'm more focused on door knocking as my source of lead generating or one source anyways. Um, but I would call minimum a hundred numbers a day, um, off telelisting, which is like a kind of organized four on one. And I, when I started, there was no purpose for me to calling these people. I was just straight out of desperation. I need to talk, talk to people about real estate and see if I could help them. Um, so I would draw a circle around a certain mapped area totally random like it's not even to the point where there was a sale in the area i mean if you're going to do a cold call you got to have a reason to call these people i would call and my first call i i remember it i was so nervous total i mean it was so early on i had no confidence i didn't like 21 20 year old kid calling some dude who's lived in his house for 60 years and i'm going to talk to him about real estate like (laughs) what the fuck man i don't know what i'm talking about so i call the guy and I, I couldn't even get a word out. I, I mumbled my name. I, like I didn't say, and I just hung up the phone before I even said anything. I just, it was a, <laughs> it was a complete mess. Um, and just the act of doing it so many times since then, you know, I, I only ever got, you know, a few deals out of cold calling um, at that time in the early stage, but it was just by doing the work and the repetition, which, which led me to um, understand the art of objection handling and the confidence of talking about real estate to people that they don't know who I am and I don't know who they are, mm-hmm. um, which now in my business is extremely, extremely important. Um, whether I'm in a coffee shop, whether I'm on the street somewhere, whether I'm door knocking, I'm able to talk to anybody about anything real estate related confidently. And I think like in anything, whether you're in the dating game, like you need to have confidence. Like you could be the ugliest guy in the room, but if you have confidence, chances are you're going to get lucky that night. <laughs> <laughs> or get a listing. Or get a listing. There you go. They go yeah. hand in hand, man. Did you ever call that I, guy I, back? I, choo- I choose a listing. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Did you ever call that guy back? No, I didn't. I didn't. No, dude, I was scared. You should call him tomorrow morning. I should, but I, you know what? I, I call him and apologize for hanging up on him three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. I think you'd remember me. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I was actually thinking about selling my home last week. I'm so glad you called. <laughs> Could you imagine? I cut you a 25% referral check for that. I like this. Um, <laughs> early on, were there ever any, like, for me, there was a lot of mental struggle. Yeah. In terms of like, what the fuck am I doing? Why did I sign up for this? Especially when early on you're cold calling, yeah. not knowing what to say or what to do. You're just going through the process just because you were told that this is a way to get a lead, right? Yeah. And I didn't really have any 
I probably wasn't very smart at the time and it's pretty accessible on Google, but <laughs> I didn't really have any <laughs> script that I was trying to follow. I was just like, oh, the more numbers, the better. Keep going. Yeah. And okay. I, that didn't work. I said something this time that didn't work. Let's try something different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever have any mental struggle of like, what am I doing? Why did I pick this business? This is fucking hard. <laughs> To be honest, Matt, I don't, I don't think I ever got to the point where I was on the precipice of just saying, fuck it, I'm out. Um, I was always, I always knew that this was just the process. And I just, I, to be honest, from the get go, I just fell in love with the process. I knew that the more no's, the more rejection I got would get me closer to that. Yes. Closer to that conversation about real estate in a positive way without someone telling me to F off. Um, (laughs) But I, but it's, it's one of those things like today, for example, man, it's, I got most doors shut at me politely. I had one fella who literally told me, I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you the run through. I knock on the door, introduce myself, said, Hey, I'm an agent in the area. I just wanted to invite you to the open house. He's like, Oh, you're in real estate. I said, yes, I'm a real estate agent. He says, get the fuck off my lawn. I get three of you guys every day. It's a beautiful corner lot. I get that. And all you real estate agents want this. And he said that. Then I said, nope, just want to invite you to my open house. I think you got to kill them with kindness, right? And, and just knowing that that rejection, as hard as it can be, is getting you closer to that yes. That's the bottom line. So I think going back to your question, I, I, I don't think I ever got to the point where I was just so down. I never left the office after doing the cold calls and was just down on myself because I knew the next day that's the opportunity. And, you know, I'll share, I'll share a story, actually a success story from cold calling early on, you know, in the first year in business, pretty much Um, a a client now who is more family than anything. It was a cold call at some random location in Port Kells. And it was totally random. I don't know who I'm calling just a name on the number. There was no reason for me to call. Um, And, introduced myself and I was a little bit more confident at this time, still a little bit sketchy, but um, I was able to get past that. So ended up setting the meeting with her, went to her property, found out what the needs were. And they lived in the place for 60 plus years, um, beautiful acre property. And, you know, I, it, it was just obviously daunting going into that. It was, I think it, it must've been my first or third, yeah, maybe probably third time or so meeting someone off a cold call where it's just a voice on the other line. Um, and meeting them in person. And I'm, sh- I'm sure they were just as scared to meet me. They, and I'm sure they're pleasantly surprised that I was in fact a real estate agent, not a serial killer. <laughs> but anyways, um, went in there, found out what the real estate needs were, helped them acquire their need, which was a pre-sale property. Got that for them. Did a good job. Um, you know, waited in the, in the, went back when there were seven day lineups, I was actually one of the first there to get in there to make sure that they got their spot and got the exact unit they wanted. Um, obviously they were super stoked with that, referred me to a good friend of theirs. And then it wasn't until two years later that I ended up listing their home, all starting from a cold call, sold their home after six months on the market. Um, you know, just sold it recently actually. Um, and now it's someone who is like, we're, we just went to their family Christmas dinner with all the little kids running around, everything like that. And just kind of looking back at, it was just a number on a list starting off and being able to shift that into something as powerful as I look at her as like a mother figure now or, or grandmother figure, what have you. It's, it's just incredible that we can do that in this business. No. So that is the positive outcome of yes. <clears throat> prospecting 
What's the most and it's rare. negative? <laughs> yeah, it is rare. It is rare. What's the most negative common out, oh, out, outcome? I've had a few real bad ones. Show yours first. Okay. I got, I got a few think? as well. Okay. So <laughs> early in my career, I my thing was letters. I did a shit ton of letters involved with door knocking, but just okay. like creatively writing letters, whether it's expired, whether it's something we've sold recently in that neighborhood, got it. saying like, this is what we did. It was, you know, 3% higher than the last sale, you know, whatever, yep. whatever bullshit. So there's one condo building that you don't need a fob to get to every floor. So we sold something in the condo building really quick, like in a week or something like that. When this was back in 2014, when the market was slow oh. and I drop a letter underneath everyone's door in the building. I went at like noon. So not many people were home and I get a phone call that night and I don't know what I was doing. I was maybe, maybe in an appointment. So this guy left a message and it's this guy and he's like, you need to get the fuck out of my building. This is harassment. I'm going to call the cops on you. If I ever see you again, oh this is outrageous. Goodness. And in my head, I'm like slightly terrified. Cause he sounds really, really angry. Yeah. Slightly laughing, but also at the same time, I'm like, why didn't you just throw the letter away? Simple. Like, he took the time out of his day to get out. Like, that's just insane. It was a long message. It was like a three minute message. Oh, see, you, you got me on my point now. So now I can share my experience. Very, very similar. Um, this, it, I, I left a very similar, it was a letter. I, I don't remember the, what the letter was. It was probably like a recent sale in the area. Yeah. Um, and I, and I left the letter, I folded it up and I put it in the little crevice in the front door there. They had no mailbox. Like there was usually I put it in a mailbox and I don't want to leave it on the floor. The wind's going to blow. It's going to end up in the bushes and it's going to look even worse. So I folded it up. I put it in the little crevice in the door. I get a call the next day and, and I never answered at the time I saw the message. This lady lost her shit on me because of the paper in the little crevice. She's like, you're, you know, it's just, I would never use you as an agent. You know, you like, what if there was a burglar in the area? It's just a telltale sign that I'm not home if I didn't get it. If they, if it was just staying there for weeks, a burglar would come in and rob my house. I'm like, you took the fucking time out of your day to call me over a piece of paper when there's door hangers galore now, you know, the door hanger, the looping thing. And I left a little paper there, calls me the next day. And I just, I, I called, I didn't call, I called back, left her message to apologize. She of course never answered my phone, but that was just absurd that someone would take the time out of their day to, to get at me for something as minuscule as that. I really don't understand. Absolutely. I really don't like you gotta you gotta be in such a negative headspace to just like just the thumb motion to type the numbers out is just <laughs> come on, man. It is absurd. It, like looking back, it's obviously funny and <laughs> I could laugh about it, but I was slightly turned obviously I was turned off. It was early in my career. Yeah. And this this guy is like yelling and swearing and yeah. telling me he's gonna call the cops on me for literally just sliding <sighs> a letter under his door. It's insane. That is just, see, you, you went up me there. I haven't had anything that extreme, to be honest is, with you. Yeah. I've, you know, I've just from door knocking experiences, you know, I've obviously had, you know, the, the crazy guys get off my lawn, you know, they're upset with many realtors, you know, knocking on the doors. But, you know, I've had like half naked women answer the door and <laughs> like in their robes, like just like, I've seen it all, man. I've seen it all. One thing door knocking I wanted to mention, and maybe this can help some young agents yeah. out there. One thing uh, this managing broker at Sutton told me, he's like, 
never ever ask the question, are you thinking of selling or like directed at them? Seriously. So one thing he told me to say was, uh, knock on the door, introduce yourself and say, every neighborhood has someone that knows all the gossip in the neighborhood. Can you direct me towards that person's house? Hmm. And I've used that a few times and it's gold. They're like, oh yeah, her name's Glenda. She lives in the White House like over there. <laughs> and then you go talk to Glenda, Glenda and Glenda will, Glenda is happy to give you any information. Wow. You'll be like, hey Glenda, I'm a, I'm a real estate agent. Um, do you know anyone that's thinking of selling in the neighborhood? And she's like, oh, actually I heard that Steven was, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's gold. Wow. Yeah. That saves you it's, a lot of time too. It saves you a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's happened a few times to me and they've directed me to the Glenda. Wow. And Glenda is very willing to give up information. Neighborhood president. Yeah. You got to find the gold. Try that one. (laughs) It might have to. It might have to. (laughs) Save some time. Holy shit. Seriously. It saves saves a lot of time. time. You don't do the whole neighborhood. You just go talk to Steven that Glenda referred you over to. (laughs) Glenda. Love it. (laughs) Cheers, Glenda. Uh, All right. Let's move into branding and kind of setting yourself apart. Obviously real estate industry is a very competitive industry in that there's a lot of people. There is. There's a lot of agents. Not necessarily all of them are full-time people. So dwindles down, but how do you set yourself apart, especially early on in a career in terms of like branding and competitive advantage? I think with branding and marketing, it is obviously very important. Um, And there's one thing that I really believe in is how you do anything is how you do everything. And my marketing and advertising, branding, whatever you want to call it, um, is, is just me. Like, it's just me just vomiting out my, the things that I like. And I think that other people would relate to. And if they do great, if they don't, then maybe we're not the best people to work with. Um, but marketing for me is exactly that like everything that you see that that i'm marketing or advertising is something that i have personally done and handcrafted myself and there's been a lot of you know i guess a passion into it i guess you could say where um it's just things that i would like to see and that's just what i put out there you know whether it's a certain style like i go i'm crazy ocd with the stuff too though and just very detail oriented where like i go as far as making sure the font is right and and making sure it's directly in line with everything and um that's just that's just my style of doing it do you do you think people appreciate that okay the reason i ask that is because jamie my business partner yeah. very ocd with things like that. Yeah. And me, I'm like, just get it out. Why are we spending four days designing a flyer? It's a hit. It should it, take six dude, minutes. It's a hidden curse. I'm telling you. And, <laughs> and my, my business partner is the same way. He's gone to the point now where he just lets me do what I got to do. And <laughs> just I, leave you, it guys, you guys may be the same. It's like, in, I, it's to the, like we, I used to design something. I used to get the approval and oh, I shift this. And now it's just to the point where he just lets me do what I got to do. Like I just, I have like this madman mentality with certain things that I'm doing, whether it's a flyer, whether it's an yeah. email, like my email newsletter is like is just silly and it, it to the point where like the header of everything is is just specifically the way i like it it's not just the generic stuff just to put the content out for for me i'm very detail oriented with whatever posts i'm making and trying not to overthink it too much i mean sometimes that ocd and that you know sometimes it can definitely be too cautious with certain things and I'm mindful of that and I know that and that's something that I'm working on. Um, 
but that's just who I am, man. And like, so, there's some things that you just can't change. And I'm just very, very detail oriented and it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Talking about social media, what, what, well, I guess, what is your strategy? What are you trying to do on social? I know you're very active. Yeah. For I the, know you're very polished. I try social. to be, man. And I think I, I try not to overthink it. I try to be as authentic as I can and in, in making it in a way that's aesthetically pleasing, I guess. Like the photos that I put on are, you know, more higher or higher quality than just trying to put something out there. Like that's yeah. just the way I like to do my, my, I guess my branding online. Um, but I think we can, you know, I'd love to get into a conversation about the Instagrams and the Facebooks. Cause I think it's a double edged sword as well. I actually go on throughout the day, usually from about 5am to 5pm. Actually, I, most days I don't even have the app on my phone uh, because it can be a distraction as well. If you're spending too much time on it, whether you're a producer or a consumer, I think if you're thinking too much about putting something out there, um, that's time that could be used elsewhere. Um, as important as it is, um, you need to manage the time on it. Like they now, iPhones now have the app where you can actually see how much time you're spending. I know, and it was a, uh, dude, it was a wake up call for me. Like aggressive. looking at the amount of hours <laughs> that I, whether I'm just looking at something or selfie game, man. We're just doing an Instagram yeah. story while you talk about how <laughs> I spend too much time on Instagram. <laughs> uh, no, continue yeah, that thought. Yeah. Continue that thought. You yeah, want to see my number? I'll show it to you. <laughs> I'm okay with sharing it. I don't care. I'd You're say good. most of mine is, maybe not most, I'd say 75% of mine is productive. Yeah. And that, and that's important. As long And the main thing is, is that you're mindful of it. There right. is a, and I've, I've talked about this a lot with many other people. It's a gentleman named Chamath Palihapadiya. Okay. And he's an old Facebook executive. He's a venture capitalist now. He has a company called Social Capital where he's an early stage investor in apps like Slack, um, Wealthfront and many other big companies within, you know, the health game, within tech, you name it. He's there. He's also a Golden State Warriors co um, co owner. Who's this? Chamath Palihapadiya. Okay. Very low key guy, very humble, multi billionaire. Um, but one thing he taught, he actually was one of the early Facebook executives. I think he's maybe one of the founders as well. I'm not too sure, but he, he was definitely part of Facebook in its upbringing. Um, and one thing that he mentioned actually in a Stanford panel, I guess it was an hour talk. I've watched that video more than any other video I've watched. And he talks about the negative effects of social media um, and hearing it from somebody who has been a crucial player in making the app what it is. He actually left early on because he saw where it was going. Like he doesn't have the app. His kids don't have the app because they know the negative effects. Ooh, I think that's crippling. Yeah. And you know, I think when you think about it, a lot of people on, on social media are, are just about the followers, just about the likes and the dopamine hits that they get, which is the same hits that you get from drugs and the addiction of it. I think it's very, very scary. And it's just this never ending circle like you you do the post you get the likes and you know whether this is something that you feel i think we all feel it in some way i'm sure of it when we're posting things we're making like we want to based on the perception of other people the more followers we have maybe the more the higher reputation we get or the more likes we have the ratio of likes per followers like there's a lot of people that follow those things and that's scary because it's really not that important i don't find and i think it's it's for you to be thinking about those things is not conducive it really isn't and getting caught in that 
just like any addiction, it's not good. And to get the same effects that you get from doing hard drugs, that is something to be wary of. And I think I, I give you a challenge, man. I dare you to delete Instagram for a day. I promise you, you will automatically go to where the app is. Oh, I'm not going to do that. And it's, it, dude, it's absolutely <laughs> terrifying, man. Seriously, because no, it's I, not I, terrifying I, though. I think it is, it's man. Not, I, I think. Okay, I think there ne- there needs to be more education in terms of how to productively use social media because it's the most powerful tool in the world right now. Yep. I think also that like Gary Vee talks about this all the time in that it's not, it doesn't change human behavior. It's just what is, where is the attention right now? And that's social media. And it's just exposing people's bad, mm-hmm. bad, uh, exposing bad people. Yeah. So <laughs> go back in time, 40 years, there was other ways that people, flaunted or like mm. looked for attention etc it's just now that the attention is on social media so that's where people are looking for attention i think their pros outweigh the cons i oh definitely definitely they do i like to think most of my use for it is positive um <laughs> I, don't, I just i i i like the opportunity on it yeah i understand how some people don't <clears throat> weren't necessarily educated on what it does and how to use it. Mm-hmm. And it can be negative for them. Yeah. But I, I don't know, man. No, I, there's I, more positive than negatives. 100%. Like you, you have the ability to influence people in a positive way. And that's incredible. Like that's a platform that it, it, it's incredible to have a platform that can do that and have that ability and have the reach. But there's no denying that there's that dark side. There is. But I think I think blaming social media for the dark side is uh naive. Yeah. I think um <clears throat> I think the people are the people who are using it for the wrong reasons are gonna use whatever platform is available for the mm. wrong reasons. Mm. It has nothing to do with Facebook. It's just that, that this is currently in our in humanity, this yeah. is where the attention is. Yeah. In five years from now, it's going to be something different or yeah. whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah. Or an extension of it of some sort. I look at it from my personal perspective and think how much it's pushed me to be a better version of myself Yeah. in terms of being more like pushing myself to be more outgoing and more honest. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the last year or two that I've been using Instagram a lot more, it's pushed me to just be myself and be okay with myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, I I I yeah. found it as a very powerful, positive tool for me. Good, and that's all you can ask for, right? I think it's how you use it, though. Yeah, I think let's say Facebook never existed. Those people that are using it for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. or to bully other kids when you're a teenager or whatever, mm-hmm. they're going to use whatever platform is available. And if it's not on social media, it's going to be on the playground or mm-hmm. you know whatever. Mm-hmm. I think condemning a platform is naive got it agree i agree man no i i see the thing is i i see both sides of it <clears throat> yeah i see both sides of it because i i've seen i just i'm more i'm more talking about the the addictive principles of it like having an addiction to anything is not good it's not a good thing i think we can both agree on that mm-hmm. and for me personally I never went down that dark hole of like looking at the likes, you know, getting the follower. Like for me personally, I never went down that hole. It was more so the addiction of filling time with Instagram, 
if I'm in a lineup and I'm waiting for something, it's like as people were, were we no longer know what it feels like to be bored, which is a human trait. Like if you, there's always things to get that hit of something, of doing something, right? And it's important to disengage from that. As powerful as it is, I th- it's very, very important. I mean, which is why I deleted it to, to test myself to see like, am I reaching for it? Like that's, that's why I do it and I'm talking about it because I think it's, it's scary to know that like we become reliable upon an application to maybe to fill time at a certain point where we might feel bored. Like that's more what I'm, what I'm getting at. I get it. Yeah. So yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But where, like, where does it stop? You know, some yeah. people are addicted to booze yeah. or another drug or yeah. TV or video games. Yeah. So I guess it's being self-aware enough to know when you're consuming or using something too much to take a break. Yeah. Just being mindful of it. That's it. You have to be aware. Like you mentioned, right? That's the bottom line. Self-awareness. Self-awareness with social media. I like that. That's a good point. I, like I said, I find myself, if I'm on social media for an hour and a half or two hours a day, and that is what, the Instagram app is telling me. <laughs> I would say 25% of it is useless. Yeah. I would say 75% of it is somewhat useful, whether it's stories behind the scenes in real estate world yeah. or at a podcast Yeah, uh, or posting or like obviously with the podcast now, I'm like spending probably... <laughs> maybe not an average an hour, but I try to use an hour of my day and it's mostly at night at like nine or 10 PM before Mm. bed to like go out of my way and DM influencers and local business people to try to get them on the podcast. Nice. So, and that's a good use of your time. I think so. Yeah. So when I look at my consumption or use on that app, I would say 75% is useful. Mm -hmm. How do I get rid of that 25%? mental toughness well, I don't, I don't but know. i think but i think it's okay though right i think if you're yeah. doing it in doses right i think we're we don't want to be robots <laughs> i think it's important to mm. to have that i mean it's still entertainment mm. right and I, I like what you're doing with your social media um you know as far as being on camera is not easy and a lot of people that's, that's the thing i missed right, yeah. and, a, and a lot of people neglect that because what it's doing is it's it's giving people full transparency of who you are. And, you know, there's a few other agents that do it very well, like you, where, like, before I met you a year ago, I felt like I already knew you. That's cool, eh? Right? And yeah. and that's important if, you know, let's say you're meeting someone new, whether it be a potential client or whether it be just a, a new person, if they've seen you online, they feel like the, the relationship is already there, even though you've never met. And that is what you do very well in the video side, whether, Thanks, whether, yeah. whether it's just things in the morning, you know, you're going on a morning run or you're crushing the beer at the top of the mountain after you just finished it. Yes. I know these things, right? Cause mm-hmm. it's programming ahead. Cause I watch your stories. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and having that in my mind makes you, makes me feel like you're a human being, right? You know, a lot of agents do it very poorly, just listed, just sold open house here. Like you do it very well in the sense where you do a high level of business, but you also are a human being and you do real people things and you do it very well. So that's the goal. So I'm I'm glad that it's coming across that way. Yeah. And that's coming from another agent. Yeah. So I always say real estate is what I do. It's not who I am. So 
my my goals like on that. social media is share ex- experience and expertise somewhat real estate related mm. but show who i am my personality so people are going to hire me yes because we sell a lot of real estate yeah. but they're going to hire i always say this people work with who they like yes if you yeah. sell 100 homes a year and carl sells 50 i like carl better than you i'm hiring yeah. carl to sell my house right yeah fuck you carl <laughs> Carl's not a realtor, <laughs> but Carl's going to do a hell of a renovation. In the yeah. It, I don't know. I, I think yeah. relationships and being yourself is so much more valuable long-term. Totally, man. I couldn't agree more. Than the yeah. just sold bullshit that everyone yeah. else fucking post. <laughs> Speaking of how much uh, do you, do you have a conscious like uh percentage in your head or are you conscious of how much you're posting about real estate versus like who you are? On your social? Not so much, man. I think like if I'm not, I'm, I'm, and I think whenever I get a new listing or something sold, I put it out there. But in the meantime, I try to fill it with personal things as well, whether it be, you know, me on a hike or whether me in a, something real estate related, but more of like a, like something that you guys do very well, which I try to emulate in some sense is like you're, you're in a listing, you're getting it prepped and you're doing a nice portrait shot of that. Like I like that. And I think people are able to relate to that more because people follow you to see you. No one gives a fuck about real estate. They really don't. Regardless of how pretty the homes are, people want to see you and that's the bottom line. So I try to marry the two in some sense where I include real estate. I'm, I'm not super, super, you know, numbers driven on it. Like if I'm doing, you know, 80, 20 of personal versus business. I don't think about it that too, too much. I just like, I look at my feed and I'm like, you know what? I could probably put in something a little bit more personal today, but I don't, I don't overthink it to be honest with you. I've gotten some feedback. It's more so in the summer. Cause in the summer, usually we've had like four or five busy months till July, August. Usually we try to take a bit easier mm-hmm. because you can get, you get burnt out pretty quickly in this business. Yeah. August, I try to take easier. And I had a couple of people comment last August. They're like, do you even work anymore? Like you're hiking every day. (laughs) I'm like, yes, I am hiking every day. But this is just the way that my job works, right? So I wake up in the morning. I have a coffee at like 7 a.m. I'm on my computer for a couple hours, answering emails, getting paperwork done, whatever. Often when other people are at work, I have a couple hour break in the middle of the day from 11 to 1 or whatever it is. That's when I'm doing my physical activity. That's when I'm going to the gym or going for a run or hiking in the summer. It is what it is. This is my life, right? You don't see that I'm still on the computer at nine, nine 30, 10 o'clock when you're watching Netflix, right? Yeah. But you're seeing I'm hiking because it's a sweet day and there's a cool view. And and it's all about time blocking in the sense, like you're, you're not doing dick all throughout just, maybe a little bit of work here and mm-hmm. I'm dozing off a bit, then more work here. Like you're, there's structure to your times and the, the time that you're doing work, right? Like when you're doing the hike in the day, you know, afterwards that you're going to do three hours hard mm-hmm. doing the catch up, scheduling the showings, you know, assisting clients, what have you. It's very purpose driven, right? I mean, contrary to what people think, that's just the reality of it. Exactly. So outside of real estate, I guess hiking and, exercise for me in the last couple of years has been very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. I know that you're getting into meditation. Yeah, man. Um, 
meditation for me, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that I, I am really, really in tune with. It's something that I actually f- was introduced in Lightcaps. Um, really? That long yeah, ago? Quite a, quite a while back. Um, and of course, at that time, you know, being a younger chap, I didn't give a fuck about meditation. I was more focused on kicking a ball around. <laughs> I didn't understand the mental side of the game at that time I mean, and the importance of it and how it can greatly improve you as a player and an overall person. So at that time we were introduced to it. They taught us how to do it. Um, and it just kind of withered away after a while. Um, and kind of going back, like we'll get a little deep here. Um, after my Whitecaps contract ended, um, there was a chain of events that happened that put me in a really dark place. Um, maybe a bit of depression. Um, but the contract is up girlfriend at the time broke up with me grandpa passed away many things happened that were not great and leading up to that you know felt like the gates just opened up all the time for me as far as soccer wise like i i would do the work an opportunity would open and i would just run through it um so when something negative happened after you know eight years of playing the sport and and keep and continuously progressing in it to the highest level I could. And all of a sudden things get slapped shut and, and I have nothing or felt like nothing. I really found the power of the mind at that time when I was in that dark place. And it brought me to really in my own mind. Um, and, and I came to the realization that I don't like the way I'm feeling physically, emotionally, mentally, how can I change it? Um, I never resorted to drugs or alcohol, anything like that. I resorted to meditation because I found that by taking the, the negative thoughts head on was the only way to deal with it. Um, and what meditation has done for me personally in business, um, like anything I've achieved this point in my life is due to meditation 100%. Literally everything. My relationships I have with my friends and family, um, whatever business success I have is due to meditation. Um, and I don't know if you know too much about it. But no, super naive in terms of it. what it is and how you do it even. Got it. Because I've never used it. I don't know if it's like an image. Like I feel like it's, I don't know, weird. I don't know. Yeah, no, but totally. Like, and, I, but I don't, I don't feel like I need it. I feel like I get yeah. that type of um, clearance in my brain through exercise. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of like the best ideas I have are literally yeah. going for a run every day for half an hour. Yeah. And, and, and there's different forms of meditation, right? And for some people, it's it's just that. Um, but at that time where I had like a gap year where I was just in this bunk, in this dark place. Like I wasn't working. I was in a school. I was, just, I was a bum for a year. Like I don't know what I wanted to do. I was just in a dark place, man, overall. Um, and I had time. And, and meditation, I would just, I would do a lot of research on it. I'd get excited the next morning to do it because I just felt first thing in the morning, it's a great way to start the day. Um, and it's been about five years now, really doing it consistently, like clockwork, like you brush your teeth every morning. For me, that's meditation. And what meditation is, is watching your thoughts go by without making any judgments. Like you'd be surprised how simple it is, but it's very hard to sit there and just in solitude for 20 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you want to do and not make any judgments on your thoughts. Like you'll be thinking about like your ex-girlfriend from from like 
when you're in grade seven. Like you'd be thinking of some crazy <laughs> shit. You'd be surprised. Seriously, because like you're not you're not filling your time with music, with doing things. You're just you and your thoughts. And I think what it does, it gives you this clarity. And and I remember the first time where I feel like I did it. And I got like this overwhelming sense of gratitude and I just felt happy. Like I remember just smiling midway through it and it just gave me this overall, um, like I just radiated this like positive feeling. It was just so bizarre to me. And I was like, I want that every fucking time. Every time I do it, I want to get that feeling. And now every time I meditate, I just get to this point and just, and of just being grateful for this moment. And what it's forced me to do is be in the moment and whether it's 20 minutes I do in the morning, it just propels me through the rest of the day to just be present because with meditation, all you're doing is focusing on your breath. I mean, there's different types of meditation. The type of meditation that I do um, is focusing on the breath, the inhale and the exhale, and it just centers you and it just, it just brings your focus to the breath and makes you very, very present. And surprisingly that just 20 minutes of the day can propel you through the rest of the day in a calm way. And I think I knew early on that for soccer, getting pumped up for a game, I never wanted to listen to the, you know, the crazy hip hop songs, the Meek Mills and just get you fired up. Like I always listen to something more like a smooth jazz, something more calm. Cause I, I, I always wanted to be in a calm state. I, I, I feel more focused when I'm in a calm state and that's what meditation does for me. It just makes me in a calm state and in this very focused element throughout the rest of the day. That's you do it every day? Me. Every single day. Every morning? Every single morning. Is it a timed thing? Like time in the day or timed as far as how long like the meditation amount of, is? Yeah, amount of time. Yeah, so I, I meditate for 20 minutes every day. Um, and what that did for me, man, and I'd I love to talk to you about this, um, is morning routines. And morning routines for me are crucial. Um whether it means waking up at a certain time every day, I think it's changed a lot for me. Like I used to stress myself out, like you got to wake up at 5 a.m. If you're not waking up at 5 a.m., you know, the entrepreneurial stuff, you know, you, you, sleep is very important, which is why I wear this ring. This is a sleep tracking ring It's called an aura ring and it tracks my sleep. Yeah, I saw you post <laughs> something about it. So that's pretty cool. Actually. It is, it is. But we'll, we'll talk about that later. But I think the morning routine for me has tr- changed from a routine to rituals. So I have certain things that I need to do every morning. Um, and if I hit three out of the five, I'm okay. I used to be very, very strong on myself and hard. And if I didn't hit the five things that I had planned the night before for the morning, I feel like the rest of the day was fucked because of it. And I had to quickly shift that because we're not perfect. We're not going to do the same things every day. It's just the reality of it. So, and I've changed now my relationship with sleep. So I used to wake up at 5 a.m. for about a year and I would crash midway through it for me. Like even now, like my body can wake me up naturally at those times sometimes, depending on when I go to bed. Um, But I don't even use an alarm anymore. I wake up when I wake up, I do the things I need to do and I'm disciplined in doing it. But starting off, I was just so wrapped around, you know, this, this, and this, wake up at this time, five o'clock, wake up, 5.15 meditation, um, you know, 5.40, I'd read for 20 minutes, six o'clock, I'd go to the gym and it was just like, it was just insane. And that in turn made me very stressed out because if I didn't do it, that was the end of the day for me. So I've just, my relationship has changed with, from routines to rituals. Where, where does like being so hard on yourself come from? 
I think just because for me, for me, I I try to wake up between six and six thirty every day. Mm-hmm. Doesn't need to be the same time every day. Yeah. I don't really have a morning ritual. Okay. Usually I wake up, groggily walk to the coffee machine, hit the button <laughs> so the coffee comes out. Go take a piss. Yeah. By the time I get back, there's a coffee, and then I sit yeah. on my computer for an hour or two at working. Yeah. <laughs> But if I wake up at seven fifteen one day, mm. I'm just like, all right, let's get started now. Yeah. But it's not uh, like I'm hard on myself because I lost forty five minutes or something yeah. like that. I don't know. I think I think it all starts from, I look, when you look at the people who are doing things at the highest level in any field, they all have some sort of morning ritual and they all do some sort of mindfulness practice, whether it's meditation, whether it's some variation of it all the high level people do those things. And I've been so obsessive over the many years of studying these people to just do the things that they do. It's very simple. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. I study what the high level people are doing and I try to emulate that. But how, how do you then find your own individuality? Cause for me, yes, I'll pull like business things out of yep. high end people, but in terms of like ritual, I do what works for me. Yeah. I've never tried meditating. Sure, maybe mm. I'll try it and see what happens, but mm. you have to like, I, I think you have to want to. You have to have the need or or the want to do it. Like if But if, how do you how do you get away from like want like if you're doing all the things that let's say John this guy is doing, mm-hmm. how do you get away from like doing your own thing? Cuz I don't I don't want to be John. Yeah. I don't want to be well, I think Carl. It's, I, I don't want to be you. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's different from a morning routine perspective though. Like I know when I have a strong morning like when I'm doing the meditation, when I'm reading, when I have a good session at the gym, I'm ready for the day. I'm already in the right mindset. If I wake up and I just go to the shower and I put on my clothes and I go to the office, th- th- there's no warm up. Like in in sports, you do the warm up for 30 minutes and then you get into the game. Mm-hmm. Like for me, that's what a morning routine is. It's just getting me prepped and primed for the day. Um, so I'm able to do it at the highest level with intention. That's what it is for okay. me. And like, it's like, like you said, man, it's all based on the individual. Like that's all like you do what works for you. Right. And, and you're still able to perform at a high level. And that's fantastic. I wish I could do that. But for me, I knew these are the things I know I need to do to be able to have a productive day. I guess I just found it with exercise yeah. and the way I feel after exercising than before is completely different. Yeah. So maybe that's my warm up in terms of like a sporting analogy, right? Is just exercise makes me more productive, more efficient. Yeah. But I've never really thought about it in terms of like copying or like pulling things from someone else. Yeah. I just feel like, yeah, I don't know who I am and what I do is very different than the no, and I get that. I just like back referencing back to man, like I was just obsessed with studying the people who are the best at what they do and and why they are good at what they do. Like, like I get down to the intricacies of what they're doing to get there, and the relation with all of them is that they have some sort of morning ritual. I don't follow them to the specifics. I just follow what they all have in common, and and I do it into my morning ritual because. I know this is what people do at the highest level. And for me, it gives me fulfillment. I'm happy doing it. So 
I don't know. It's just, it's just based out of an obsession. That's it. Just obsessed with studying what the best people are doing. When you're meditating in the morning, are you avoiding anything? Are you avoiding work? Are you avoiding? No. No. Whatever comes to mind is what happens that day. No. Meditation for me is just to get me present and, and show gratitude when I'm finished. I, when I'm finished meditation, I look at my vision board. And I have what's called the seven equities. Um, and I didn't make this up. This is from a life coach and agent actually in LA. His name's Kevin Sturvant. Um, and he talks about it a lot. And it's something that I really resonated with me. And what he talks about um, in the seven equities is mind, body, soul, family, social, business, and money in that order. And mind, body, and soul is obviously very personal. It's all to yourself. And that's before family, relationships, social, before business and before money. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people. Mm. Whether that's physically, like if you're in a fucked up headspace, how are you supposed to provide for people in a positive way if you're not all there? So that's something that I look at. I look at my affirmations every day and I just, I read it out loud and it just gets me in this right headspace right after I meditate. That's my purpose, man. I just, I look at, I read these things and I just, in every facet, I just... I look at, I'm trying to be as well-rounded as I can in every way possible. And that's what I'm after. What are you working on right now? Physical side. Getting back heavily into the gym. When I started real estate, I was, I gained a shit ton of weight. <laughs> Me like, too. Dude. <laughs> and like, it's, it's crazy because obviously we, we, we were both athletes, right? And, and. And you just do the work like you, you like when I was an athlete, I didn't really I wasn't too conscious about what I was eating because like, fuck, man, I'll do a training session two hours. I'll burn 2000 calories. I could fucking eat whatever I want. Yeah. And that continued through real estate when the <laughs> physical activities started to go down um, and the cactus club started to go up. <laughs> <laughs> so that that took a big hit on me. Um, and then I, I looked at myself. I never got obese or anything like that, but I saw I had a gut. I was like, this ain't me, man. The same me. So I'm um, still to this day, it's something that I'm working on. And I just, I've grown this new love for um, physical activity because I want to, not because I have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and the relationship has changed. And so that's something that I'm working on right now, man. And I'm, I'm really growing a new love for it. How long has that been? It's been probably about five months or so now. Good for you. Five months or so now. Really? The first three months yeah. were hell. Yeah. Horrifying, really. Yeah. So it went from me being like a pretty good athlete, played provincial teams, played in the States for a year, played at UBC, Mm -hmm. to getting into real estate, (laughs) weighing more than I should have. (laughs) Well, fuck, man. Like, we're on the go. Burger King's on the way. Like, oh, yeah. We just got a Especially especially year one, I had zero money. Yeah. So I was like trying to spend as little as possible. Preaching to the choir, man. So if there's a dollar fucking 39 cheeseburger on the value (laughs) menu, yeah, I'm hitting that up. Oh, man. I remember like the first month, it was like, it was hard to be on the treadmill for 10 minutes. Yeah. And now, like, I run at least, I run half an hour a day now. Good. But like, (laughs) getting, getting from the point, getting the point from like, Zero exercise for two years to trying to run for 10 minutes was hard. Yeah. Anyway. No. So you you're, seem like you're maybe just out of that stage, <laughs> but that stage was rough for me. Yeah, no, dude. It was, it, it was just like re, recreating the relationship with it was the hard part. 
Cause yeah. you, you, uh, your life, my life before was physical activity. That's yeah. just what I did. And then that shifted and it was all in real estate and I neglected that. So, which is why I look at those seven equities. I'm just always trying to make sure everything is, is in line and working on everything. Because if one thing is out, it's like, what are we after at the end of the day? Like, what's our purpose, man? Right. We all have individual purposes, but for me, it's just making sure those, those are all even. So I'm able to be the best person I can and, and help other people. Like if I'm not in a good space, I can't help other people. Right. I like that message. I like that. Uh, I find a lot of value in terms of like voicing insecurities and voicing big goals because I feel like it holds me accountable a little bit. Yeah. Even if it really doesn't because no one really cares on social media. And I know that when I say things, but in my mind, it makes me, it helps me. Yeah. So I want to ask you before we get out of here, biggest goal in your head right now or a couple, but what's like a big long-term goal for you, whether it's physical relationship wise, business wise, whatever it is. I have a few, man. I, in, in in many different places in my life too, whether it be personal business, um, for me in business, the, the big long-term goal, um, is something that you guys are in, man. I want to build a team. I want to build a team of agents where I can inspire them to do the things within the business that they want to do. Um, that's my business, long-term business goal. 100%. I want to do something that is more than just me. And like my, my business kind of why is to inspire people people to do the things that inspire them. Um, whether that's underneath the real estate umbrella or anything else, man, like, like when people see me from like people used to look at me as the soccer guy and I, you know, I've been spending the last years in real estate being the real estate guy. Um, and if, if I can relate that to someone who's in the same footsteps as me, um, at that time where they're there, cause it's inevitable that there will be a time in your athletic career, um, that will, come to an end at some age. That's the reality of it. It's not a long-term career. Whether you blow a knee, whether you get to the age, um, there will be a time and it'll come to an end. And I'd hate to be that dark cloud, but it's the truth. Um, And if I can be that guy who, you know, came in the same footsteps as other high-level athletes and shifted into a business realm, um, that's something that gets me going. And that's something that really um, gives me fulfillment. And it's something that's much more than just me. Um, it's inspiring other people. So that's my, my business goal. Kind of a two, two part, two part it's, answer, I guess. Honestly, it's but, similar to me. Yeah. And like once the team got started, I realized how much I could help people. Mm-hmm. And so thus now the podcast, mm-hmm. literally just like chatting with people like you and other super motivated people, a lot of people out there I find just need once in a while a voice or like something in their ear saying like you can keep doing it, mm-hmm. you can do it and or they need an outlet for a little bit of motivation or w- whatever it may be. But that was kind of the reason for the podcast is just to like share experiences, yeah. chat with other people who one push me to network, but mm-hmm. three like can be that little push for someone who needs it. Yeah. I like that. that. That's brilliant, man. 
I, I love what you're doing here on the podcast, man. I think it's it's a different approach than what other you know local real estate podcasts are, and those are great as well. If you're if you're looking for you know cold hard facts, but what you're doing, um, I think will have a huge influence on people. Just it's a very transparent conversation, um, very raw, and I think that's the time where you're going to learn the most if you're a listener. So it's awesome what you're doing. I'm not very polished. I think the <laughs> definition of Denny is just like very raw. <laughs> that's the best, man. You're yourself. Uh, I want to end with you give your like best little piece of advice or like something you took from that first conversation yeah. with DJ for young people wanting to get into self-employment or who are just starting out. There's one saying, take care of the work and the work will take care of you. Define that. If you are, we'll use real estate as an example. If you really care about the work and you take care of it and you're there for your clients or customers or whatever, it'll pay you dividends for the rest of your life. What I like and things that go through my head all the time is like, don't worry about short-term results. Mm. Put in the work, build the relationships for long-term reputation. Yeah. Same thing. That's the, that's the bottom line, man. Love it. How can uh, people reach you if they want to Hit you up on Instagram. Yeah, Instagram at Spencer DeBoyce. Very simple, first, last name. Um, you can check out my website, www.spencerdeboyce.com, preferably Instagram. Hit me up. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming <laughs> on, man. Right on. Appreciate it's it, man. to catch up. Likewise. Guys, thanks so much for listening. As always, I want to hear feedback. You can hit me up or Spencer. Uh, my Instagram, Denny.Tuma. Have a good night. Boom. Boom.